Our verse for this week is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. And uh, we will go ahead and say this together. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. That one's almost a tongue twister. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. All right, there we go. Work on that for next week, and we'll say verse 11 this evening. All right, uh, if our ushers would come at this time, we will receive our tithes and offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, please. Luke chapter 16, for our scripture reading today, we'll read verse 19 down through verse 31. And let's stand, please, as we read, if you're able to. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you once again that we can meet in your house today. We pray your blessing upon the word of God. As the pastor brings it to us, we pray you speak to each heart. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would accomplish your will and your way in each one of our lives. We pray if there's anybody here who's never been saved, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus today. And we pray that every Christian would be encouraged and strengthened to serve you better. 
Thank you once again for the peace and the freedom and the blessings we have today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. Just a quick reminder on this passage. Uh, this uh, teaching series that Christ started, it, it begins back in Luke chapter 14 when Christ was uh, invited to uh, the Pharisee's house to have a meal. And as you recall, they had a, uh, uh, a sickly man, one with dropsy there. Uh, they probably were not comfortable with him being there, but it fit their trap. They wanted to trap Christ and see if he would heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And uh, the Lord did, and uh, they had a teachable moment about that and how they cared more for their animals than they did for anybody else. And from there, the, the lessons just built one right after another by the master teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in there, the, uh, the next chapter dealt with the lost, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. Here we have dealt with the uh, uh, un unjust steward or the steward that was corrupt. Now we deal with two men, two men, and a great gulf fixed between them. I think we have a rather stunning window that is opened into the reality of eternity. If we would just think about that, what it will be like. The man uh, Booth was his last name that started Salvation Army back when they were very fundamental in their beliefs and practice. Uh, we can appreciate their benevolence and humanitarian work they do, but they've lost a lot of the biblical principles that founded uh, that organization. But when, when he was beginning this organization and the great heart was to evangelize the lost, he said he wished he could take every worker and dangle them over the pit of hell for just a few moments. They would understand what evangelism is all about in a far greater way. And so here we have a window that is open. When death happens, this is what it's going to be like. This is what's going to be seen with that. We're introduced to these two men with a great gulf fixed in death, but also in life. And I want us to consider these two, the rich man and Lazarus. Now, because somebody is named here, Lazarus, the, uh, the poor beggar, uh, most believe that this is not a parable. Christ does not call it a parable. They believe this may very well be uh, a real incident that had happened. The Pharisees may very well have known Lazarus. They may have known the rich man and his five brothers. That we do not know, but uh, whether it is a parable or really indeed something that happened, it teaches us the truth about eternity. In life, one rich, the other an impoverished beggar. Now, stop to think about this because we're talking about two individuals. Everybody here probably knows somebody or has seen somebody that is so impoverished that they have to beg for food. That could just as easily be Lazarus. Everybody here knows somebody that's extremely wealthy and has want for nothing. 
Uh, we were over at Newcastle, Colorado, and in that area, you're not far from all of the multimillionaires and billionaires and all of that. And one guy was telling me how he, uh, his service went into a home that uh, uh, was valued at $70 million. That's just the home. And no, 75, because somebody offered 70 million and they turned it down. And they finally got the 75 million a little bit later for that home. I can't fathom having that money, let alone a house worth that money. But very rich. You probably, I know people that work with millions of dollars. And so these are real people. This isn't just a story. And you could put names into these that, of people that you know of reality. And there's going to be some that go to hell and some that will spend an eternity in heaven. And so we have a very good picture. This rich man, fine living, probably had... Uh, tailor-made designer clothing. I don't know if they had designer clothing back then, but if it was comparable, it would be designer clothing. It would have just the right label, the right name on it, and just the right fit, and uh, beautiful. He didn't go to Walmart or Sam's to buy his clothing. He went to the uh, best of places or the best of tailors to have his clothing made. Live sumptuously. Find Food. I was talking to somebody. Now, sometimes we go out to eat and, and we get the bill and it's, whoa, that's what it costs these days. You used to feed a family for two weeks on that kind of money. I was talking to somebody that went to a very, very fine restaurant where they spent between four and five hundred dollars for the two of them for a meal. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it better have been good. But you know, fine food. They weren't eating leftovers, crumbs. Social life. In, in the who's who social circle, undoubtedly. And uh, probably was the esteemed guest at certain tables. And uh, respected at the gate. And in all of his social circle and, and, and all of this. And, and we would understand that he probably knew this beggar. Because he recognized him after he died. And knew this beggar. Now you and I can probably envision how this very wealthy, refined man. He would walk by to where the beggar was laid. And so he probably was not able to, to be real mobile where he was laid, and it's like, this is disgusting. Get him out of here. But if we get him out of here, they'll bring somebody else and lay there, so we'll just let him lay there instead of somebody else. But, uh, and really didn't care to, to stop by McDonald's and buy a fresh meal and leave off, but just let him eat the crumbs that drop to the ground. This is that rich man. Then there's the beggar. And you see, in life, the, there was a great gulf fixed in their economic and social status. He was laid, tattered clothes. 
in all probability, he probably stunk. Because he probably couldn't go take a bath. Um, Didn't have the wherewithal, maybe for laundry. It talks about the sores that he had that had ulcerated. Probably that had oozed. And he, he just could grab whatever crumbs people drop. You ever drop crumbs? Ever get a little bit of wayward food? I did yesterday. Eating a hamburger and I hit a bump just as, and squeezed or whatever and I got mustard right down here. <laughs> Yuck. But do you know... He just got what hit the floor. And that's what hit the ground. That's what he ate. That's what he lived with. Socially rejected. Dogs would come up and lick his sores. Evidently, I don't know if he got so used to it. I, I don't know how you sit and let that happen. Or if that's the only friends he could have. That showed any kind of attention to him at all. And despised. And so there was a great gulf fix between these two men in life. Now, in the eyes of the Pharisees, of who the Lord was talking to and about in here, the Pharisees would have figured this rich man, if anybody could could make it and be in heaven. If anybody could be made by his way into acceptability, if he is so well respected and accepted by humanity, certainly God could not turn him away. God would have to accept him. And so they would see him as one of the prime candidates who could be in heaven. While with the the Lazarus, the beggar, they would view him as the most unlikely candidate to ever arrive in heaven. He had no wealth to do good works. He had no physical strength to do good works. And certainly, if he is despised by the best of society, how could God care for him? And so he was viewed as the most unlikely candidate. A great gulf fixed in their social economics status and in life. And then both men died. You see, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Life's a vapor, then you die. I used to tell my kids when they'd start fussing and and arguing with each other and and everything, I'd tell them, kids, life's tough, then you die. Figure out how to figure it out. They said they're going to put that on my tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, it's appointed unto man to die. It doesn't make any difference how rich you are. It doesn't make any difference how poor you are. Sooner or later, if the Lord tarries for the believers, we're going to die. If the rapture comes before you die, we'll rejoice in that as well, won't we? For believers. But they died. And there was a great gulf fixed between them. Imagine this. Now, Now understand, you have a couple of deaths. A couple of families or potential families to be impacted. It's not just a story. 
You know what it's like when one of your loved ones dies. Here's two men that died. For Lazarus, he died without attention. It would seem as though nobody cared. I don't know where his family was or who would lay him there at the, to, to beg at the gate or, or how that happened. <clears throat> but it would seem that he died with very little attention. No elaborate funeral. No paid mourners. In fact, in all probability, not even a regular grave. Because what they would do is for people like this, beggars like this, when they died, sometimes they would have to pay somebody to go get the body, take it out to the Valley of Gehenna, where all of the trash and bodies like this were thrown onto the burn pile and just burned. There was no fanfare, probably no regular grave, no funeral procession, nothing. But nonetheless, he died. Forgotten. The rich man may have thought good riddance. But then the rich man died. Probably with family at his side. And, and I tried to envision this, and we really don't know. And so I have to be careful in, in how we envision this. But, but I, I would understand, it talks about how he had five brothers... And, and I try to envision a family like this where a wealthy man dies. It's not uncommon for family to come around and, and in the final hours, the final days, uh, wondering if they're going to pull through or if they're going to survive or what's going to happen. And then they die and, and tears are shed and, and uh, they weep and they try to console one another and they say there's going to be a great loss in the family. And uh, possibly a funeral was, was planned, however they did this. And as they got together and they, they celebrated his life. I don't necessarily like that term. It's become a popular term today. There's still funerals. Somebody's died. Either they're going to heaven or hell and we need to recognize that. But I'm sure they probably celebrated his life. And, and however they did it, one person may have stood up and said, you know, uh, I just highly respected him and how he could make money and, and um, uh, do this and do that and was so successful. And, and I admire him and, and uh, however they dealt with that. But they had their eulogy and, and admired him. The funeral procession would have been somewhat elaborate for a rich man. I've heard of different funeral processions. Uh, Our son bought a uh, ag business from some folks we knew back there in the North Platte area. And when uh, that man's wife died, she managed the trucking side of it. They had the semis that they had bought and that she managed, they followed the hearse. And so there was a convoy of semis behind the hearse. And it went clear out to the cemetery. And then there was a convoy of cars and everybody that had known them through this. And so it was a very elaborate, unique procession to the graveside. 
I've heard some where with, with the uh, ranching and cattle and horses where they'll have a horse and, and wagon kind of as a hearse to carry it out there even yet in today. But it's, it's a very elaborate team and, and wagon. Well, here was a wealthy man. It may have been an elaborate procession out to the tomb. And like Joseph of Arimathea, it probably was a new tomb carved out of rock that he had prepared for his, he and his family. And it, it was all taken care of and looked nice. He was laid in the tomb and it was covered up. But nonetheless, he was still dead. And who knows after that, maybe the five brothers, it doesn't say anything about a widow, it doesn't say anything about children, but if he had family, they may have come back to check the will out. See who gets what. Lazarus didn't have to worry about that. But both died. And there was a great gulf fixed between their burials. At the point of their death, not burial, it is at the point of death that the spirit soul leaves the body and goes to its destiny. The body is just this tabernacle, this house that we live in and we use during this mortal life. But it's at that point of death for the believer, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And for those that are lost, absent from the body, present in hell. And we see that here with the rich man. But there's a startling reversal of conditions. Now fathom this. Lazarus, who probably was drugged or carried by paid somebody to take him to the burn pile, it says here that angels carried him into the Abraham's bosom. Now fathom having a set of pallbearers like that. And they ushered him in to the place of paradise called Abraham's bosom. No more suffering, no more pain, no more sores, no more dog licking them, uh, no more having to eat crumbs off the ground, no more people scoffing at him, living in, a, in the finery and the refinement of paradise. <coughs> what, what, a, what a change. But do you know for the rich man... Cast into Hades. He may have had the finest pallbearers, the finest coach of some sort to haul his body to the tomb, but upon death, cast into Hades. Maybe comparable to the way Lazarus was thrown on the burn pile. But he is there in absolute torment. That word torment is used four times. You would do well to circle it or mark it down. It's used four times. It is no party. Now let me help you understand these places of destiny, eternal destiny. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everybody that died before that point, if they were a child of God, they went to what was called paradise. If they were not, they went to Hades or hell. 
and it's down and in same geographical, but there was this great gulf fixed where this side could not cross to this side, this side could not cross to that side. Many would understand that at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he took captivity and delivered them and took them to heaven. But we do know now that for believers who die, we go to heaven, but the lost still go down to hell. But at the time of Christ, there was a great gulf fixed. We, we drove through the canyons on I-70 over to Newcastle, and there were times where it was like the Narrows. And you have these tall canyon walls on either side. Now, I think it is possible to get down one side and up the other side. Don't ask me to try it, but I'm sure there's places you could do that. But in, in what we're talking about here, there was a chasm so so impenetrable, so uncrossable that they could not cross. But obviously they could see from one side to the other and call out from one side to the other in this. But he was cast into hell. And I want you to notice these things that exist for somebody that's in hell. They can feel. He felt the torments of the wrath of God in eternal judgment. And he, he, it is so tormenting and the fire and that what was he was experiencing and what he felt that he cried out that if he could just have Lazarus dip his finger in water and touch the droplet to his tongue, he would sense some relief. Now, I don't know about you, but in a hot day when I'm thirsty, I'm not in a fire, but on a hot day when I'm thirsty, for somebody to just put a drop on the tip of my tongue, that doesn't sound very satisfying. (coughs) But to the extent of the suffering, even that would have at least a drop of refreshing. He could feel. He could hear. And speak because he could speak across the chasm and he could hear from across the chasm. He could reason, he could recognize, he could remember because he was told, Remember in life you had your good things and he had his bad. And so do understand it is not a place of annihilation. Death is not the end of it all. I read an article where one tombstone epitaph said this, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. I bet he wished he had a better place to go. And he probably regrets ever having that pinned or carved into his tombstone. Because he would make it sound as though somebody could follow where he would want to follow him. And it was not that way. Yes, there was a great gulf fix between their eternal destinies. They could not cross that. There's three things that lost people believe after death. We we have seen some things of their differences in the great gulf fixed. But you know, there's three things that that a lost person immediately believes when they die. 
They can deny it. They can reject it all through life. They can scoff at it. They can fight against it all through life. But the moment they die, they'll believe these three things. And I'll give you those three things. First, they believe in the reality of hell. You know, there's a lot of people that don't believe in, in the reality of hell. It's nothing more than a cuss word. More than once, many times I have heard, well, hell is those bad experiences you have in life. This is the hell you're going to feel. No, it is a reality. It is no longer a party destination for meeting their friends. I don't know how many I've heard say, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell with my friends. We can just party for eternity. It's no party place. Many a times I would like to ask them, and I've not done this, but someday I may have the opportunity. If you think hell is that much of a party place, if you have a cigarette lighter, can I borrow it? And I would light it, and I would say, would you just put your hand on that fire and just leave it there? They say, you're crazy. Oh, they may play with it and try to go like that. But just leave it there until it starts burning your hand up. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't make fun of that. They make joke about it, but, but they'd realize the reality of it. Here we have, it is a reality. And it's no party place. There's a great tragedy. One of the uh, well-known evangelists of yesteryear that, that had tremendous campaigns, did a good job of preaching the gospel, particularly early in his ministry. But in an interview later in his life, he said, we don't know if there really is a hell. What a tragedy. Jesus said there was. The Bible tells us there is. And God who cannot lie would not have put it any other way. It is not a place that does not exist, but it is for real. It is a place of no more opportunity. You see, here was a man that maybe he thought he could have, uh, well, if I got it wrong in this life, I can get it right somewhere in between there. There, There's uh, Roman Catholicism that try to uh, teach about this place of purgatory where you'll go and suffer for a little bit and either your friends can work to get you out of there or somehow you can work to get out of there or whatever. There's no such place. There's no holding ground. There's no middle place. There's no, there's no other place. It is eternal. And then it is a, a place of inescapable torment. Have you ever been tormented with some physical malady on a brief scale in your life? Here is overwhelming torment that is absolutely inescapable. There's no way out. There's no end to it. There's no change. It doesn't get hotter and then get cooler. It is an inescapable torment. For someone without Christ, there is no way of escaping it. No way of talking out of it. You know, there's a lot of people that are pretty good at talking, them, talking their way out of a lot of consequences of wrongdoing in life. But this is one that they'll never be able to talk themselves out of or talk their way out of. 
Jesus spoke more about hell, its reality, and its eternal torments, where the fire never goes out. There's weeping and gnashing where the worm dieth not. He describes it as eternal torments. And he did so to warn people from that eternal doom. In fact, the Lord did more, said more about hell than he did about heaven. Sometimes we preachers are accused of trying to scare, scare people out of hell. I hope I'm guilty of that. I hope so. I hope they realize and understand exactly what hell is. And it scares them enough to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The only temporary, if there's any reprieve at all, is when it comes to the time spoken of in Revelation chapter 20, where everybody that has been sent to to hell will be brought before the great white throne judgment before Jesus Christ, and they will be judged for their works. And when they stand before that, I don't know what all's going to happen, but here's what I understand. They're not going to be able to blame anybody else for their eternal destiny and their choice. They're going to have to accept that themselves. They, they, there's a lot of people that won't go to a church because there have been some bad church experiences, and they'll try to stand before Christ and say, well, I, I faced a bad church, and so I decided to reject God. That won't work. There's been preachers who have offended people, and they'll never go back to church, and they say they'll never get saved. They won't be able, and even if the preacher was, was an honorary rascal that said things and did things he shouldn't, when they stand before Christ at the great white throne judgment, they won't be able to use that as an excuse. They won't be able to use their economic status, good or bad. They won't be able to use their health, good or bad. They'll have to accept the responsibility for their choice to reject Jesus Christ and that they're a sinner and that God is righteous in punishing them. And then at the end, they will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And I don't know if they get a step out of the fire for that judgment long enough for the judgment or not. If so, that's the only reprieve they would ever have from the heat of the fire. But it is eternal. And the great gulf fixed will remain without change. First, they believe in the reality of hell. Second, they believe in prayer. In verse 27, he said, I pray thee therefore. They scoff at our Thursday evening prayer meetings. They may scoff because we pray before a meal no matter where we are. They scoff because we pray before our events and our activities. I remember in high school... My senior year of football, uh, I wanted uh, to our team, before we went out onto the field, to have a word of prayer that, that uh, God would direct us as we uh, play and, and, and uh, would watch out for us and, and, and glorify God. And my coach cussed me for that, and he says, well, you ask the players if they want to do it. All but one agreed, so we were able to do it in the, in the locker room before we went out. And he scoffed and criticized me. I was a starter, but I didn't get to play as much as I probably would have. And when I goofed one time, I remember coming to the sideline and he said, if you'd get off your knees and quit praying and start playing football, that wouldn't happen. They may scoff when we pray before a meal or before an event, but they won't there. They may scoff when we pray one for another or we pray for the lost ones to be saved. 
But I tell you what, the rich man believed in prayer for personal relief and for others. I pray thee, he cried out. In hell, your request is denied. There are no prayer promises. His first prayer was a request for a drop of water. Denied. His next request was send Lazarus back to my brothers. Request denied. In hell, no request is answered. No prayer promises there. Then thirdly, they believe in soul winning. Do you know today, and in verse 27 and verse 28, he said, send them back to my brothers so that they'll get saved. He believed in soul winning. Well, they may laugh at us and, and be very upset with us for knocking on their door to share the gospel. They may turn up their nose when we hand gospel tracts out today. They may scoff at somebody that would be committed and sacrifice their time to do a work ministry, a Sunday school ministry, seed line ministry, or whatever it is. They may scoff at you when you're at the family uh, gathering because you want to talk about spiritual things and you want to talk about uh, are you saved and where will you spend eternity. And they may get weary of it, but when they go into hell, they don't get weary of soul winning. They're all about soul winning. Would you please send Lazarus back to my five brothers so that they would repent and not come here? They believe hell is real. They believe in prayer. They believe in soul winning. Because there is a great gulf fix. There's no leaving and no more opportunity. Now let me close with these three crucial lessons Jesus is telling us in this record. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. Neither did Lazarus go to paradise or to heaven because he was poor. Lazarus, who was in paradise, also met Abraham there, who was a very wealthy man. So it's not your economic status that determines where you'll spend eternity. It is a matter of repentance and faith. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 21, Paul said that his ministry was to preach repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. And I find it interesting, this rich man in hell put a greater emphasis on repentance than belief, even though they both go hand in hand. Because he said, go to my five brothers that they would repent. That's where his emphasis was. He didn't even say, go to my brothers and tell them about the love of God. Now we can tell them about the love of God. But he said, he knew his heart, he knew his brother's heart, and repentance was needed. He believed in it for certain. You see, John 3, 3, the Lord said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every man, woman, and child. doesn't make any difference how rich you are, how poor you are. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. 
This, this rich man may have thought he was good enough and the good works that he was doing was good enough and he just, you know, I don't care how many times he may have heard. Now, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 hadn't been written yet, but I'm sure it had been stated because it's, it's an eternal truth. But he may have heard over and over again that your good works aren't going to cut it. And he may have thought he was good enough and I'm doing some good things and I'm a good man. I'm a good, somebody, another one, a good woman. I'm a good child. God can't reject me. God can't deny me. He's got to accept me into heaven. I'm not that bad. But he found out that even as good as he was, it still wasn't good enough. It takes repentance and faith. And God is no respecter of persons. And so it's not a matter of your wealth or your impoverishment. It's not a matter of your health. It's a matter, have you repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ? The second great lesson is people do not believe because of miracles, but because of the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think it's I- ironic and you know, some people, even they go to hell, they don't even change. But he thought he could boss Lazarus around from hell. You send Lazarus up there. You let him be my servant to go do what I want done. I, I thought of that. Give it up. <laughs> you can't do that. But do you know? It didn't work. Abraham said no. Speaking on behalf of God. No. And, and I'll tell you what. You hear a lot of these modern stories of somebody died and spent time in heaven and come back and have a story. I don't buy any of them. Because it violates what is said right here in God's word. God's word says, if they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe even though somebody comes back from the grave. God doesn't use that method. We have a more sure word in the Bible that has been validated and approved. And we have no way to validate any of these fantastical stories. They had Moses. They had David. They had Daniel. They had Job. They had the great uh, gospel work of Isaiah, but would not believe. Shortly thereafter, Jesus raised another man from the dead by the name of Lazarus. It didn't cause the Pharisees to believe. And that's probably who he was speaking about when he was talking about the rich man. It didn't cause them to believe anything. In fact, they conspired how they could kill Lazarus as well. It's the word of God that was given. But you know, shortly thereafter, there was another man that raised from the grave. That was Jesus Christ. And over 500 eyewitnesses. If you won't believe that testimony, why would you believe anybody else coming back? Final lesson, and then I will close. There's no future opportunity to change your mind or your destiny after you die. Your life is a vapor. Death comes suddenly. And opportunities are over. We're praying for a lady that has been in a coma and trying, hoping she will become conscious, sufficient, 
so she could hear and understand the gospel message. Because if she's not saved and she dies, there's no more opportunity. You can reject any and all truth in this life. But like the rich man, once you die, you will then believe the truth. But it will be too late. And there will be a great gulf fixed. What a lesson. For those who are believers in Christ, who can point to that time of repentance and faith and know you're saved, we can rejoice in the hope that is set before us. But it ought to challenge us in the faithfulness of our prayer and evangelism for the lost. And for those who are without Christ, I hope this brings the fear of God to the point of bringing you to your knees in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. We do not say that to be mean or unkind. We say that because the love of God compels us to say so. Because then it's too late. Father, we come to you this morning. What a passage. What a record. Lord, we would ask that if there's anybody that's here listening, watching this message, if they've scoffed, if they've put it off, if they've made excuses, I hope the fear of God shakes their heart and brings them to their knees. Lord, do a work in their heart. And then for us as believers, let us be faithful as ambassadors of the grace of God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are... Living by faith, living by faith, in Jesus above, in Jesus above trusting can
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my. been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now why refi has been getting a ton of phone calls and i want to thank you for supporting and investing in something that actually helps people a lot of people are talking about this investment so i'd like to review the basics with you first off yes it's true you can earn up to 10.25 percent fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the fed you can turn your income on or off compound it whatever you choose and there are 
absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back, and your monthly statements will have no surprises. If you're not sure if you can trust this economy, this secure collateralized portfolio may be a good option for you. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-24. That's 888-Y-REFI-24. Tell them Joe sent you. This is Craig James from Just Informed Talk Radio, and I want to take a second to tell you about my friends over at thefreedompeople.org. If you guys haven't tried them, you need to give them a call today. All you have to do is go to thefreedompeople.org and set up your call. And what can they help you do? Well, through legal and lawful processes, they'll help you reduce exposure to the tax man or other bureaucratic bodies. They can help you do things like set up express trusts, which help manage your business assets and affairs effectively and privately, while helping you gain greater control of you and your family family's future. It can also help you do things like set up private membership associations, which help you restructure your business in a way that allows you to run it exactly how you want. If you believe your children should be able to receive their inheritance without paying an arm and leg in taxes and that taxes are unjust, the government ceases to represent the interests of its people. I want you to take a second today to go to the T-H-E, freedompeople.org and schedule your call. Let them know I sent you. But more importantly, help make sure that your future is protected and that your business and your family are protected. This is Steve at Ramsey Auto Group. Hey, this is Mike from Ramsey Auto Group. Just stopping in to say hi, let you know that we're still open, still in business, and still rocking and rolling. You know, if you're looking for a good car experience, come see us. We have old school values. We still operate by handshake. We're not pushy. We want you to be happy, and uh, we have a great selection of trucks. 6175 West 10th Street, Greeley. 970-443-5654. Are you looking to sell your excess construction equipment? Trust Steffes Group's team of professionals to get you the best return on your investment. Steffes Group is a nationally recognized leader in the auction business with over 60 years of experience. Their team of professionals prioritize honesty, integrity, and outstanding service, and they work with you every step of the way to ensure a smooth and successful auction process. Go to steffesgroup.com right now to find a sales representative near you and discuss your options today. This is Rick Rodriguez. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Join me on Sundays from 9 to noon for the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry Radio Church Program on 1360 AM KHNC. Hi, this is Tammy Cuthbert-Garcia with Naturally Inspired Radio. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. for the latest in natural health news. Get real solutions for healthy living and hear from our inspiring guests that are leading the way in health and freedom. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. (laughs) 